Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series on the book of Ruth. For more information about CBC, or how to get plugged in, or to listen to another sermon, visit us on the website, cbcsavannah.com. started with a man named Elimelech. His name means what? Who knows? I heard it. My God is king, right? Elimelech's name, my God is king. He is married to a woman named Naomi, whose name means what? Pleasant, sweetie pie, right? All right. They lived in a land called Bethlehem, which means house of bread. They moved to a land named Moab, which means who's your daddy, all right? All right, it's good. So some of you have been paying attention. While in who's your daddy, my God is king, dies. Tragedy strikes. And not just him, they're two boys, sick and frail, as their names mean, Malon and Kilion, they die as well. And so now, pleasant sweetie pie is left broken and hopeless and empty no provision no protection no future right it's a bad place for her and she's in this place where she believes that God is all-powerful and that God is good and that God is loving but yet her life stinks so she does the math and she says well since God is good and all-powerful then he must be doing this to me this is his fault he has caused this in my life and so she goes back home to the house of bread and she says don't call me pleasant anymore call me Mrs. Bitterworth all right because I am bitter I am mad at God and I am mad about life, right? And, and so it's a hopeless situation, hopeless. But what we said in the beginning was, this is a story, all four chapters, about one big picture thing, one word. It's that Hebrew word hesed. It's, it's love, it's stubborn, faithful love. We read about it this morning, that your steadfast love, it's that Hebrew word hesed, is better than life. That's what the psalmist says. And this is a book about God's steadfast love, even though it doesn't feel like it. Although at the end of chapter one, what do we see? There was a little glimmer of hope, wasn't there? Because as Naomi looks to her right, who is there? A young lady named Ruth. And they just so happen to to get back into town at the beginning of the barley harvest where life starts coming out of death. And so there's a glimmer of hope at the end of chapter one. And then in chapter two, that glimmer is opened up a little bit more. Why? Because Ruth goes out to work because she's the opposite of lazy. And God in his providence just so happens to lead her to the, to the field of a man named Boaz. And Boaz is this older Hebrew version of Sean Connery. And he does three things. He pursues in a way that he, he takes care of her as a daughter, Right? He takes care of Ruth as a daughter. He calls her daughter. He pursues her. He initiates. There's no agenda there. There's no love at first sight. He's just a good dude. He provides for her. He says, come to the water cooler. He takes her to Carabas. They dip their bread in the oil. They eat. And then he provide, uh, protects her. He tells his men, you men mess with her? You with, you with Luca Brasi, you sleep with the fishes. All right? All right. Don't mess with Ruth. She is, she is one of mine. He pursues, he provides, he protects. 
right? And so she goes home to her mother-in-law. She's got 30 pounds of, of, of barley. Her mother-in-law's sitting on the couch, still watching Donahue. And, and she's like, where did you go today? Where did you get all this food? And she says, I went to this guy's field. His name was, was Boaz. And she's like, Boaz? He's, he's a relative. He's, he's a potential redeemer. He's the one that could fix this mess we're in. And, and so you're left where she's gonna go continue to work for Boaz and, it, and they basically, it just ends with, she works through the barley harvest, she ends through the wheat harvest and then it ends. And you're like, okay, now that work season's over, it's been great, we had some food, what next? What happens next, right? And so today we're gonna look at what happens next in Ruth chapter three. And again, big picture here. This, this is a story about God's hesed. So I want you to see God's hesed. Now I'm gonna make other little application points here, specifically about a topic that seems to be coming up for our church a lot lately, the, the issue of singleness and dating and marriage. There's a lot here for that, right? So if you're like, and, and that's huge for our church because not only do we have a lot of students home for the summer, we got a bunch of middle schoolers, we got a bunch of high schoolers, we got a bunch of parents. So it's a big topic for us. So we're gonna see some of those applications, but big picture still, we're seeing God's unfaithfulness kind of unpacked, right? And, and the goal for us is this, so that you and I are equipped so that when our life turns into Mrs. Bitterworth, because there's gonna be times when you're Mrs. Bitterworth, that you can go back to this among so many other stories of God's faithfulness and be encouraged and say, you know what? I'm not the first one who's felt like Mrs. Bitterworth. I've seen God's hand in the scripture. I've seen him in my life. And so that you are equipped to make it through that season with hope. And that's the goal of this series, if nothing else. All right, so chapter three, harvest is over. What next? Verse one, then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? So she tells her, okay, now that the season's over, she said, I, I wanna find rest for you. And rest is not, you need some time off, you've been working hard, right? Take a little vacay, go down to the Dead Sea and relax. That's not rest. Rest is a husband. Rest is security. All right, I don't know why all the way to 318 is on here, but there we go. Is that, oh, there we go. There it is, first one. All right, so rest is a, is a husband. She said, I wanna find you a husband, but not just any husband. It's not go on, you know, christianfarmingsingles.com and find you a husband. This is, I got someone in mind. It's Boaz, all right? Verse two, these verses are all messed up up there. So for verse two is actually supposed to be on the screen. He says, is not Boaz our relative? with whose young women you were, see, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. She says, I'm not just talking about anybody, I'm talking about Boaz, your relative, your boss for the last few months. And, and notice she says, see, it's the Hebrew word, look, behold. She's like, I want Boaz and guess what? I know where Boaz is tonight. He is winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now that's a real, it's not like he's down on River Street at Spanky's, that's not what that is. This is a very cultural thing. At the end of the harvest, they had this big shindig at the winnowing, at the threshing floor. Okay, this is when you're cashing the money in. It is a big time. You're gonna go to this place in the city. There's probably only one of them. It may be on top of a hill. It may be kind of just a structure, but there's gonna be a breeze that comes through and they're gonna beat out all the sheaves, all right, with all the wheat or the barley. And then they're gonna throw it in the air and the wind is gonna take the chafe away. 
and all the good grain is gonna fall to the ground and they're gonna take this big pile of grain and they're gonna throw it in the, in the storage. All right, that's again, very cultural, but for them, it's big time. It's party time. All right, especially after a famine, this, they got food. It is a celebration. And Naomi knows this is a happy time for our people. Our people are gonna be, they're gonna be in a good mood, which means who's gonna be in a good mood? Boaz is gonna be in a good mood because he's going to SunTrust after this with a big old check, okay? And Boaz and all his boys, they're gonna be eating barbecue and they're gonna be listening to Leonard Skinner and they're gonna be celebrating all night long and there's gonna be food and there's gonna be wine and everyone's gonna be happy. So here's what I want you to do, Ruth. I want you to go down there, all right, where they're gonna be. I want you to take a bath, wash, therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor where everyone's happy and everyone's celebrating, right? She, and she's just silly saying, look girl, go look good. Get your nails done, get some foils, right? Take a bath, put on that Moabite musk you got over there and put on your best dress and get yourself down to the ball, girl. That's what he's saying. But when you go, wait. All right, wait. Don't make yourself known to the man. Don't go in. Let him finish his chicken wings. Let him finish listening to Sweet Home Bethlehem, you know, played on the stage. Wait till all that's done. And they finish eating and drinking. Wait till all it's done. And then, and then when he lies down, observe the place that he lies. And then you go uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. Now, I get it. That's weird. Okay, for us, we're like, wait. what? That? And, and she says, okay, I'll do that. Which is even weirder. Okay, very cultural stuff going on here. Right? But she says, wait, don't, don't just rush. Don't go in and say, hey, we need to talk about us. You know, don't do any of that. Went, go, go watch where he lays down because he's gonna lay down by his pile of grain because he's, he's gotta guard it. This is, he's gotta protect his investment, which means there's gonna be other guys all around in their sleeping bags by their grain. So she watch where he goes after he goes to sleep. Go uncover his feet, which basically is a marriage proposal. We'll see that in a minute. And, and then he'll tell you what to do. Okay, we, we gotta talk about this a little bit because there's a lot there. This is strange. This is not the advice I would give to my daughter. Everyone's at the, at the party and at the end of the night when he goes back to his home, you know, this is the equivalent, busting the door, pull his comforter down and say, marry me. That's not, that's not my advice to you, okay? Now, some say that Naomi is actually encouraging her to be immoral. I disagree. And here's why, because we know that these two characters have been presented to us, Ruth and Boaz, as stunning. They are stellar. They are the example of goodness and purity in this story. Boaz has been called a worthy man. He is above reproach. Yes, he is celebrating, but this is not some drunk dude running around in a toga playing beer pong. That's not him. He is celebrating, but he is godly. And understand this, because some of you don't realize this, you can be godly and celebrate, okay? Godliness and grumpiness are not the same. In fact, I would argue that godly people know how to celebrate. The difference is we celebrate with self-control. So there's, there's not drunkenness in Boaz. He's not, he's not lit, all right? He is merry, he is joyful, he is thanking God for the provision of the harvest, 
and it is good. But he is not some drunkard who's just passed out by his grain. So understand that. And Ruth is not some, you know, hussy who's showing up at the threshing floor. She is pure. She is loving. She is holy. These are two good people. So there's nothing immoral going on here. That's not the goal. But the goal is this for Naomi, that she's going to put her in the situation. She is going to get her in the picture. She is going to create some movement and an opportunity for Ruth to be seen. And in this plan, let me just say, there, it, there are risks. All sorts of unknowns for Ruth. Right? There is lots of ways this could go sideways quick. Okay, what, what, if he's, what if he says no? I mean, it's already unusual that she's asking him. What if he says, no, you're a Moabite. Why would I wanna be with you? Why would I wanna marry you? That's not good. What if when someone sees her sneaking in and thinks, oh, look, she, she's really not what we thought she was. Her reputation could be at risk. She could be shot down. She could be crushed. There is some risk involved for here. And, and look, risk is not fun, is it? Not when it really costs. Our, our, our kids, last couple of weeks, we got in this like kind of Clue thing. We're, we're playing Clue a lot lately in the house, right? And I love watching the kids when we're playing Clue because we love Clue. And, and they want to make an accusation. They want to say, it's Mr. So-and-so. But they're a little scared because they know, first of all, that I've been playing with their minds the whole time. Like, ha, 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 you know. But they know that if they, if they make an accusation and they're wrong, they're out the game. So the little ones especially, they're like, you know, they're, oh, I just want, you know, they're fighting it. And then, and, and, but that's kind of the way sometimes we see risk in life. Because here's why. We think sometimes that just because I'm following God, that everything is going to be easy. As long as I follow God, everything's cake. As long as I follow what God says, man, it's going to be no struggles and no pain and no suffering. And, and, and I'm here to tell you that that is not the case. Sometimes following God means there is risk and there is unknown and there is no guarantees. And you're like, well, I feel like God's calling me to start this business. Does not mean you're the next millionaire. Yeah, I feel like God's calling me to pursue that person over there. Does not mean she's gonna see that that way right away. All right, following God involves risk sometimes where there is unknown. And I think that's okay. The reason we don't like risk is we're out of control. But when we're out of control, what, what does that do for us? It makes us more dependent. It makes us more sensitive, I think, to where God is going. It keeps us humble. Like we're taking risks all the time. Right? Just even with, with children and the decisions that you're, what schools to put your kids in. And we've kind of made some big decisions this year with some of our children. And we're putting this one over here and we're putting this one over here. And look, we feel like God is calling this one to go over here and this one to go over here and these two to go over here. But let me tell you, there's a lot of unknowns there. And there is no guarantee that everything's gonna be okay. But we feel like that's where God's leading us. And it puts us in a place of, okay, God, we gotta trust you that you know what you're doing. I think it's a good place for us, all right? Because we avoid risk. Sometimes you need to make that accusation. Mr. White, in the bathroom, with the pistol, let's go, all right? So we gotta get out there. And so that's Ruth, that's where she is at. All right, it's a big piece there. Here's a couple other just real practical things out of these first verses. Let's talk about the beauty piece just for a minute. Because Naomi says, girl, you better look good. Get all dressed up, get some foils, right? Is she wrong? No, she is not. In fact, I would say this is, this is a good thing. What she is saying is, be who you are, look your best. There's nothing wrong with that. 
Now, the difference from what that is and what the culture is telling you, the culture is saying, ladies, with beauty, that beauty is something to obtain, that you seek it, that you have to acquire it, you gotta do something to get it, and then once you get it, that's where your value is placed. And if you're gonna get a man and you're gonna keep a man, you better look a certain way, act a certain way, and, 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 and do whatever he wants, because then he'll marry you. Let me just tell you, by the way, that will not happen nine out of 10 times. But... That's the culture's view of, of beauty. Something to obtain, you don't have it, but you, you gotta go get it, and then that's where your value is. And what scripture teaches is that men and women created differently, we talk about this a lot lately because it seems that the culture has not understand that. But men and women created differently, and women are actually created in the image of God with an inherent beauty already. That God, you are reflecting in, in a way different from men because there's nothing beautiful about us men but you reflect the image of God and the beauty of God. That, that is what you carry in, your Im, in the image of God as, as female. And it is your job now to not go obtain it, but to manage what is already there, which is why modesty matters. Because immodesty is exploiting the beauty that God has given you so that you can be seen, so that you can be desired, and that ultimately you, so you can be worshiped. So I'm gonna look a certain way, act a certain way so everyone thinks that I look like Kim Kardashian or something. And that, that it's idolatry and it is not the beauty you've been given, right? It's why modesty is important. Um, and, 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 and let me just say this as a side note. When we talk about modesty, we always talk about the girls. Some of you guys, modesty is for you too. Because just because you can wear a kid's small t-shirt does not mean you should. Okay? Just because, you, you're not supposed to wear pants that are made for my eight-year-old. And just because it, oh, some of you, want, as soon as it gets to be 48 degrees, it's hot, I'm gonna take my shirt off. Modesty is for you as well. Your job is not to draw attention to you so people, oh, look at him. Oh, look at his six pack. Look, when you're 45, it'll be a one pack. So just hush. <laughs> okay, just so you know. So modesty is for men and women. What, ladies, what you need to understand is that God has created you with beauty. It is your job to manage it for God and manage it for this future husband. And what you want is to find a man who can spot your unique beauty. And I'm not saying dressing like Ramesh. That's not what I'm talking about. All right? But I am saying managing your beauty in a way that, that the person that, that would appreciate it will spot it. Because we're not all made to look the same. And this whole idea, we got to look like this and this is the standard. I mean, I, I can promise you this, ladies. I have never met a 16-year-old, 18-year-old, 21-year-old, 28-year-old, whatever guy that's sitting there watching some runway show on whatever and saying, man, that 63-pound girl that I've never eaten a hamburger, she looks good. I've never seen it. Never. Right? And so what's true beauty is, is managing the beauty that you have, looking your best like her. Yeah, put on that Moabite musk, right? Put on that best dress but managing it in a way that is honoring to God and it draws attention to him. And what I find that is super interesting here is although she is apparently a pretty girl, what is the first thing that Boaz notices every time? It's her character. And we'll come back to that in a little bit, but I just wanna highlight that beauty piece. Hey, it's, it's good to look good. And men, it's, it, you should try to look good for your wives too. I know you're all, yeah. It's interesting, we want our wives to look good and we're like, right? We look like Jabba the Hutt by the time we're 30. Uh, okay. It, your job is to manage you too, all right? We want, because we're, our, our, our bodies are not ourselves, are our spouses. Like you're not gonna look like you're 22 for the rest of your life, but you don't have to just, well, it doesn't matter, I got her now. <laughs> all right, okay? 
So beauty piece is important, looking nice for each other. Here's another piece, real quick. It is real strange, but it's kind of, we need to talk about it. Is Naomi tells her daughter-in-law to pursue a man and go after marriage. In fact, to actually propose. Is this a good model for us? Because some people say, oh, the Bible's advocating pursuing a husband like this. I, I, I don't think you can go there because the equivalent, okay, is that you are going after your great, great uncle and asking him to marry you. He's like, you know, 40 years older than you and he's a distant cousin. So if, that, if you wanna go out and marry your second cousin twice removed that's 67 years old, that's fine. That, that's the equivalent though. That, so it's not a one-to-one comparison. I don't think it is healthy for in the standard deal, because it wasn't usual then, it's not usual now, for the woman to pursue the marriage in such a way where she's proposing to him. And I can give you all sorts of theological reasons. I go to Genesis 2, I can go to Genesis 3. Let me just be real practical. Ladies, if you are the one who has to pursue hard in dating, let me just tell you, the dating male is the most aggressive he will ever be. I mean, that is the most active it gets, y'all. Okay, that is the most showers he will take, the most times he will brush his teeth uh, in, in your dating process. And if you have to carry him there, welcome to your life. If you're carrying him in your dating, then you will be dragging him in marriage. I'm just telling you, right? Because what is he gonna do when the pressure's off now? Right? And so I'm not saying that you, know, you should just sit at home and wait for the guy to call, but to, to go hounding and hounding and hounding and then asking him, that, that is not the deal because men in our DNA is passivity. We've dealt with this and the chronically passive man, he will marry someone to be his mama and you don't wanna be his mama, I promise you. Promise you. All right. What I do think is healthy though is to providentially get in the way. All right, I think that is healthy. And I'm not saying, you know, show up at three in the morning knocking on you, hey, marry me. But I am saying, hey, he's serving in that capacity. I'm gonna serve in that capacity. He's in that community group. He's in that Bible study. He's going bowling on Friday nights with this group of people. I'm going bowling with these group of people. And you providentially get in the way because guys are dumb and they don't see things and you need to get in the way, <laughs> all right? So you just need to. And guys, if you're like 26 and you're like, man, I want to get married and my heart to get married, then why don't you look up and see where you're serving and see the community group you're in and see the places you're at and look who's constantly there. And you're like, oh, that person, oh yeah, she's always there. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. And maybe that's a good, because if you enjoy being with her in those contexts, you'll probably enjoy her being your wife. Right. And so look up and take some risks. We got some cowardly men. I'm sorry, we do. They're just, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Hey, what's the worst thing that can happen? You go, hey, let's go bowling together. Oh. The worst thing that happens, she says no, and then you go to the 11 o'clock service, and she's at nine. I mean, <laughs> she'll never see her. You'll be fine. T- take some risk. There's that risk piece there, right? And so here she is uh, in a unique situation, verse six. So she goes down to the threshing floor, and she did just as her mother-in-law commanded her. Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly like a ninja and uncovered his feet and lay down. And, and what's interesting is here, you don't know how long she's down there for. I mean, it, he wakes up next verse at midnight, but she could have been there like an hour, just kind of like, all right, what's happening? All right, and, and eventually... 
whether she, her, his feet get cold or, uh, you know, whatever, uh, at midnight, the man was startled. It's literally the word for he, in Hebrew is he's scared, he's shaking. And he turns over and behold, there's a woman at his feet and he has no clue. He is, he is startled, he is disoriented. This is like getting waking up in the middle of the night and you're like, whoa, what's going on? There's something at my feet. Yeah. For us, it's usually Milton. But, you know. and he, so he's like, what, what's going on? Verse nine, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth. And you could, I mean, again, there's people all around, right? And so she's probably like, I'm Ruth. And she says, your servant. She uses a different word for servant than she used in chapter one. Chapter one, she was the lowest possible servant. This is like a handmaiden. She is now a marryable girl, right? And notice the language. Here's your proposal, right? Spread your wings over your servant. So that doesn't sound like a proposal. And as some of your translations say, spread your garment, spread your cloak. And that's unfortunate because it misses the tie-in. I told you last week from chapter two, let me read chapter two, what Boaz says to her, all right? The Lord repay you for what you've done. A full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. She is invoking the language that he used last week. You, I came under Yahweh's wings, now let me come under your wings for protection, for refuge. It's a proposal. It's a great line, guys. Write it down. It's better than will you accept this rose, all right? <laughs> Spread your wings over me. And notice why. For you are a redeemer, right? She's now at the height of risk for her. She has laid it all out there. There's nothing holding back. And he is blown away. Verse 10, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last hesed greater than the first. Why? In the first one, she, she was coming back. She was leaving everything. Now she is still, y'all, she is still looking out, not for herself. It's not just, I wanna get married. I wanna have a family. She is still thinking of who? Naomi. I mean, she said in verse nine, lay your, lay your wings over me, lay your covering, why? For you are a redeemer. She is not thinking about herself. She is thinking about Naomi still. And Boaz is blown away that she is, is going after him because he's an old dude. He said, look at his language. He says, you, you, you've gone, not, not for young men, poor or rich, which tells me a couple things about this. Number one, Boaz was not really, marriage was not in his deal. He wasn't thinking, how am I gonna get Ruth to notice me? He's just being a good dude. And secondly, it tells me that Ruth was probably pretty because if she could just marry rich, young, poor, whatever, she could marry anybody, she's probably an attractive girl. And he is blown away that she would go after him, Mr. Old Dude, because she wants to see her mother-in-law redeemed. And so he says, I'll do it. Don't fear, I will do for all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And here's that same phrase. Remember last week I told you, Boaz was an Ish Gabor Hayil, a mighty man, a man of valor. He uses the same phrase now for her, that she is an Isha, an Isha Hayil. She is a worthy, good woman. And everybody knows it. She is a gem. She is stellar. What has he noticed about her? First thing, it is her character. It's the same phrase used in the Proverbs 31 of the wife, a, a jewel. That's what she is. Everyone knows it. And look, I'm not, back to that character piece. I am not downplaying the attractive piece. 
Just so, let's be realistic. When I first saw my wife, she had friends and roommates. I didn't care about them. I saw her because I thought she was pretty, prettier than all the rest. So I'm not saying, I was like, well, she's going to teach me Bible study. That's not what I was saying. All right, I said, I thought she was the prettiest of them all, right? And for me, I told you, she saw the Jeep because I was jobless and I lived with my mom. So that was, it was certainly not that. So I'm not taking the attractive piece out. But what I am saying is this, character matters. And guys, when you only focus on the externals, you are putting undue pressure on the gals here. You're telling them, I want a godly wife. But what we're really saying is, I don't really care about that. I just, I care how you look. We're speaking out both sides of our mouth. And again, the, the attractive piece is important, I'm not saying. But the reality is this, you want a woman of character because let's be honest, when you get married, you are going to be for several years a moron. You're going to be a bad husband. You are not going to have husband of the year mug for several years. You have a lot to learn and you are going to want a, a, a woman who is, is kind and encouraging and patient because you're going to be hard to live with, right? And so, and the other piece is, yes, is, is that the physical piece is an essential part of marriage. It is a huge piece of marriage. But for, in regards to time, it is a very small piece. And I know all the engaged guys are, no way, man. You know, all the 20s, young, when I get married, no way. You come back in a year. This is why if you're engaged, if you're dating, ladies, you need to encourage this guy to get with some young married people. So he figures out ahead of time what, what marriage looks like. Right? But character matters. Even, y'all, I saw Sarah, she was beautiful. I was like, man. but what impressed me as I got to know her is this is a godly woman. She's got standards. She's plugged into a local church. She's 20 years old. She's serving. She's being faithful. Godliness is attractive to godly people. I'm just telling you. And in the end, there's gotta be deeper than skin deep because beauty changes, gravity wins, six packs turn to one pack, hair goes from head to ears, all sorts of things. It's gotta be deeper than just that. It's gotta be richer than that, right? You gotta actually like being with this person and enjoy them. And that's a huge piece, all right? And so look great, look your best, exercise, take care of yourself, but godliness is what matters. And it really is what brings these two together. I mean, on the surface, these are the two opposite people in the world. He is old, she is young. He is, he is Jew, she is Moabite. He's employee, I mean, employer, she's employee. Rich, poor, you can get all exactly opposite in every other place except what matters. They are hail, they are men and women of character. And so in that sense, they're a match made in heaven, right? And he's gonna show it again, even, even in, as, the, as the chapter goes on, that he is above repose. Look at verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you've done. Oh, excuse me, verse 13, I'm sorry, wrong chapter. And now it is true, I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer that is, that is nearer than I. Remain tonight in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. Here's what he is. He is clear. He, his intentions are clear. He says, look, you're right. I am a relative. I am a redeemer. I am a potential. But there is one that is legally closer than me. Now we could just go get married right now and it'd be great. But here, that would be not above board. That would not be the best thing because scripture says the first guy is supposed to be here. So we're gonna go and do this right. 
And if he wants to do this, he wants to redeem email, great. And if he doesn't, I will do it. Whatever happens tomorrow, you'll either be with him or you'll be with him, with her. There is no fuzziness. He is absolutely clear about his intentions in this, in this marriage. And, and I think there's a great point for us men who are not always clear about anything. Right? That we, with the ladies in our life, would be clear. And you're never, look, you are never going to master communication, men. I promise you. You're never going to do it. But we can be working at being better and being clear with our wives. And this is a great application for those who are married. This week would be a great week to go on a date and not talk about the kids. All right? And just, and just say, hey, here's where I'm at. Here's, here's some of the things that I'm thinking. Here's where I'm struggling. Here's some of my needs. Here, I want you to tell me where I'm being a knucklehead right now. Right? And just to just be some clarity and then and ask at the end, do you understand what I'm saying? Because I know I don't understand what I'm saying sometimes. And so do you get, and just working on the art of clarity with the people in our lives. What, what the expect and, and what, we, what we're thinking. It'd be a great date night this week. But he is pursuing her. He is clear. Single folks, we talked about this a couple weeks. We're not gonna rehash it. You can go back and live it. If you are in the dating process, that you are clear, men, with those who, we're not just hanging out. We're not just, oh, I don't know. What are we doing? We've been doing this for six months. I don't know. We're just kind of whatever, right? That you are clear because doing whatever and holding hands and doing this and connecting and breaking, connect, it's just not healthy, right? Again, this is why a 15-year-old who usually cannot even find his socks should not be in this world probably because he is not going to be clear with intentions. Well, what are your intentions with this other 16-year-old? I don't know. We're just going to see Batman, right? You know, I, so, so should they be dealing with this intimacy and managing it? That's your call as a parent. I would say no, right? Because it's just, it's too heavy and weighty, right? But then we need to be clear. He is clear, and so verse 14, he says, she, lay, she laid at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize her. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. He has pursued her again. What is he doing now? He is protecting her reputation because he doesn't want anyone to say, oh, we thought she was all good, but look at her hanging out at the threshing floor. Shady. And so again, another thing, again, this is guy heavy maybe, but that's because Boaz is the example. Guys, you are to protect the reputations of the women in your life. So your daughters, it is okay for you to say, you are not wearing that. In fact, don't put it back in your closet. Give it to me because I'm going to put it in a trash can. Don't go sell it because then someone else is going to be wearing it. It's okay. It's okay for you to do that because you're guarding her reputation and you're paying the bills, which is the trump card. You want to eat? You're not wearing that, right? It's very simple. You want to drive that car? Great. You're not driving. You're not wearing that. But it's protecting her reputation. It's protecting your wife's reputation. There's men who encourage their wives to dress in a seductive way because look, so everyone will think, oh, that, that, is, that is not guarding your wife's reputation. All right, she, she's not, you're asking her to be, do something that God has not called her to do. She's supposed to, that beauty is for you and for God, not for everybody else in the world, right? And so it's, it's, it's guarding the reputation. Single guys, you're taking a trip to Charleston with this gal and oh, we're not doing anything, but we're in the same hotel room. What does that do for her reputation? All right? It's, you're not hanging out at her house till 2 a.m. Well, nothing happened except for you leaving at 2 a.m. And everyone's like, oh, ho, ho. right? It's, it's, it's beyond just the purity. It's beyond the purity. It's the reputation. He is caring about that. Nothing happened. Well, nothing happened anyway. He's guarding her, her reputation. He is protecting her. It's important. And not only that, he's providing for her. What does it say? That he, he, he says, give me the garment. 
and, and holding it out, and, and she held it out and, and measured six measures. It's like 60 to 80 pounds of barley. It's a strong girl, by the way. 60 to 80 pounds, right? And she put it on her. I'm thinking, you couldn't carry that to the house for her? I don't know why that is, you know? But he, she probably puts it on her. Hey, you got the barley. She's walking home with 60 pounds of barley. And she goes into the city. And, and, here, and now we get the snap pick back to Naomi. What's Naomi doing? She's not slept all night, I guarantee, right? And so she comes to her mother-in-law and her mother said, how did it fare? I've been checking Facebook. It didn't go from single to engaged. I've been waiting. What's going on? She told her that all the men had done for her saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, notice the language. You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Why is that important? Because when, remember when Naomi came back to town, she says, I went out full, I came back empty. What is Boaz saying? Tell your mother-in-law she is empty no more. It's just this beautiful picture. That's why the story, is, it just ties together so perfectly, right? You are empty no longer. And so the mother-in-law says, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest. What did she say in verse one? I must find rest for you, right? Same word. He will not rest. He will settle the matter today. What Naomi says to Ruth is, you can rest because he's not going to. You're gonna take care of it because this is not a passive dude. He's a man. He's gonna, he's gonna be active and he's going to fix this and you can relax because his wings, that's some refuge. And I would say this, that for our men, again, that we ought to be places of refuge. That, that we are places that we are men who will get it done. And so when you tell your wives, husbands, I'm gonna do that, that, that you actually can be trusted. When she wakes you up at 3 a.m. and she's all like, oh, look, 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 I'm worried about this and this. And when you say, I got that, you can go back to sleep, that you mean it. No, I'm not saying you're gonna be perfect but that we're men who are active and not passive. That you're that single guy, whether you're, and if you're, you're going to pick up the gal at the house and the dad's there, that he can trust and rest because he knows you're not gonna take his daughter to a shady place. You're not gonna put her in a compromising position. You're gonna have her home 10 minutes early. That you're a man of rest. And if you're young, you're not going out alone anyway because you've heard from Pastor Bill, you should be in groups. You're in group dating. We're gonna hang out together, seven of us. Right? Call me if something else happens, parents. I'll take care of it. Send Talavo over there. All right? But that you are someone who, who cares. Would, that your wife would know when you stand on this stage or someone other, and you say, forsaking all others, that that means what it is. Till death do us part. That, that you, can be, you can rest. He ain't not gonna be wandering. He ain't gonna be looking. He ain't not gonna be flirty, flirty with the secretary. He's a man that gets it done. Right, that, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. When you say, my, I'm gonna get the work done, I'm gonna get it. He, that's Boaz, he, he's a man. He is Sean Connery. He is getting it done, right? And then the chapter closes. Isn't it great? It just leaves you there. You're like, oh, what happens? And it's just like that old Batman show. Gotta come back next week, same bat time. What's gonna happen? I'll tell you what's gonna happen. Boaz is the man is what's gonna happen. And you're gonna see old boy go to town and he's gonna take care of this today and by the end of the night Ruth's gonna be married to somebody right and he gets it done because he's a man just just a couple thoughts as we close and we move to worship 
I know that there's a lot there. I can go cultural pieces. I know there's been heavy kind of dating singles. And again, that's because we have so many and we wanna value those here that they know how to live in this area of their life, which is challenging. We want parents to kind of be thinking about these things. But here, here's two other pieces just to think through real quick. Number one is an authority piece. Is that God has designed for us to live in this world under authority, like government authority and boss and other things. But what's interesting in this text is everybody is kind of functioning well under some sort of authority. Boaz, who is this rich, powerful, respected dude, he is under the authority of what? Of the scripture. And he says, we could go get married right now, but the scripture says this is the proper way to do it. What does he do? He puts himself under the scripture. There's authority there. Where Ruth puts herself under the authority of Boaz, go do this, go do this. And she's okay, I'm gonna do this. She puts herself under her mother-in-law who's not exactly been making great decisions in her life, but she listens to her advice and says, okay, I'm gonna do it. And there's this principle there, not that you have to go listen to your mother-in-law, not that you have to go listen to this and do all these things. But the principle is we are meant to live in authority under scripture and we're meant to invite people into our lives. I would say if you're married, that you should be asking your spouse, all right, what, what do you think about this? What do you, where am I here? And, and, how, and, and when your spouse says, this is what I see in you, that you don't just like, well, that's not true, which is the tendency of men. Well, we have an excuse for it. I do. And so that you would be willing to listen to truth and put yourself under truth. You're like, well, I'm 45 years old. My kids are almost out of the house. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. Actually, you do because you're about to enter a season of your life where there's no kids and you haven't been there for 26 years. And there's people that are there and they're gonna say, hey, this is the way your marriage is gonna look different and this is what it's gonna look like for kids and finance. And you need to hear what they have to say. And, and there's never a season. You're a 16-year-old and you're like, man, what does algebra two have to do with life? Nothing, I would agree. But there is a purpose for it. And so what you need to do is you need to go to that 21-year-old and say, dude, what's the deal with Algebra 2? Why is it important? Why is it important? And, and, and hopefully that 22-year-old will be wise enough to say, look, it's more about the effort and the work and the working hard than knowing algorithms. It's more about being diligent about where God's called you and doing things with excellence, right? And they'll be able to speak into that. Right? And so, so there's, a, there's an authority piece that we need to keep coming back to, which is why we talk about community and living in community and, and having community. And it's important. Second piece is this. It's this, the idea of giving your life away. That Christians are constantly looking for opportunities to give themselves away. It's interesting that in this chapter, every single person is looking out for the interests of other people. Naomi is looking after who? Ruth. Ruth is looking after who? Naomi. Boaz is looking after who? Both of them. It's, just, it's amazing. Again, we're always hard on Naomi. Naomi is a model of, of love, of sacrifice. If she leaves, if Ruth leaves, she's alone. But she's willing to give up. Why? Because that's love. And, and, and we shy away from brokenness. Would you want to marry into that family? Mrs. Bitterworth is your mother-in-law? Moabite? That's a mess. That's a train wreck family. That's like something on TLC family. Okay? But he, Boaz is moving into that. He is not afraid of that. He's not saying, you got to get all your ducks in a row before I do this. And he is, that's why he's the picture of ultimately of Christ, who is his relative down the line. Who, God is not afraid of your brokenness. 
In fact, it's your brokenness that draws him to himself. He's, he's not like, oh, that, those people are a mess. He sees that we're a mess and he purposely goes into it. And, and I think that the, the encouragement for us is if that is what God does for us, I know it's hard looking at that broken mess over there and you wanna stay away because you wanna keep every duck in a row, but that is not the Christian life, all right? That, that some of you, you know, some of you guys that are like, you're pursuing, you wanna get married, you don't know, that there might be a single mom that you're like, that scares me, but that might be something God is calling you to, to be a dad, all right? That, that there, there's some risk involved. I, I just, just understand that we are called to move into brokenness. And so I would challenge you this, who in your life, right? And you don't count yourself because everyone's got a mess, but who's got a mess over here? Maybe it's someone on your soccer team. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's someone in your community group. Maybe it's just a, a grandmother, whatever it is, that you know that they're in a bad place and you've kind of been like, I don't want to deal with that. Maybe this week would be the week that you could go have a cup of coffee and say, hey, how can I pray for you? Is there anything I can encourage you I know that's opening a can of worms, but that's kind of what love is. Love is not only love those who love me back, it's those who cannot do anything back. That's what Christ does for us. And so just kind of two thoughts as we move to worship for us. And then next week, we're gonna see almost the finish. We'll finish in two weeks, but we're gonna see what happens. So why don't you stand and we'll worship. Father, I, uh, I thank you for just hope and modeling hope and just as this story unfolds, seeing how darkness is starting to look a little lighter. And I just pray for those in this room that that may be the case they're in darkness now, that they would start seeing the light, that, that you are a God who cares, who is stubborn in your faithfulness and love, love towards us. Um, just pray that we would just remember these lessons of Ruth and how uh, just you have modeled what it looks like to give your life away. I pray for our young folks, our singles, our teenagers, Lord, they are facing battles that we have never seen. Um, guard their hearts. I know some of the stuff we talk about on Sundays is a little bit radical from what they're hearing, what they're seeing, but, but let it ring true in their hearts to know that, that, that you desire for the, their best, that you love them, that you want them to have great marriages if you call them to that. And so there's, there's some great things that they can take to heart and, and trust in you. And, and so uh, we just pray these things in Christ's name.